Barb Higgins here, welcoming you to A Thousand Tiny Steps. In this podcast, I share my stories of love, loss, triumphs, and tragedy as I continue to trace my steps backward and ponder what led to the death of my daughter, Molly. If you're ready to laugh, cry, shake your head in disbelief, or simply listen, and tie, buckle, slip on, or lace up your shoes, and join me as we begin our A Thousand Tiny Steps. Hey, everyone. Barb Higgins here on a rainy January day in New Hampshire, welcoming you to season seven of A Thousand Tiny Steps, episode 71. I actually recorded this episode yesterday and I wasn't happy with it, but it's overwhelming to think about having to say everything again, but I need to say it right and I need to say it better. And it was a very stormy day and the internet was wonky and I kept looking at myself and I freeze. So (laughs) that wouldn't make a good YouTube show. So anyway, here I am trying again. In starting the podcast a year and a half ago, my major goal was to try to retrace my steps to make sense of Molly's death. And I know that some people probably get sort of sick of hearing about it. I remember after Molly died, one of my friends warning me about another mother who was just so hung up on her son's death and over the top and everything else. I know this woman very well, and I don't see it that way at all. But I've lost a child and she's lost a child and this friend of mine hasn't. And so I know that This is what makes the grief road so difficult is I never know how people are going to accept or feel about who I am. I've had people tell me that, you know, I need to box it up and move on. And I've had people sit with me and let me be what I need to do and everything in between. So a thousand tiny steps. I said way back in season one, how this title for the podcast came from a lesson that I taught in health class. I would tell my students that the things that happen to us in our life aren't a one decision thing. Most things have five or six decisions anyway that led you to that decision. And during the week that Molly was on life support, my CrossFit coach at the time, John Farwell, was comforting me. And he said, this isn't because of one decision you made. There were many decisions, many things that led to this day, and not all of them have to do with you. And that comforted me to a certain extent. But it also got me thinking, you know, Molly's been gone six and a half years now, almost half her life, actually. And so... In naming my podcast, I thought, you know, I have this blog post named A Thousand Tiny Steps. And when I, when I did it then, I really was thinking about my health class and how, you know, we don't wake up in the morning and decide to fall through ice. I think I'll fall through ice on a pond today and drown. But you're walking home with a group of people, you, you test the ice, you take one more step, you take one more step, you take one more step, you fall through. It's never, ever a single decision that causes very bad things to happen. You get put in a place where you make the final decision and that makes something happen. At least that's how I see it. So was there a first step in the death of Molly? When I look at the culminating factors in the years leading up to her death and what was going on in our lives as a family and what was going on in Molly and Gracie's lives and all of the mitigating factors that can come into healthcare, I really did narrow it down a bit to the summer of 2005. I remember a long, long time ago, I put on my Facebook page, hey, Mr. Peabody, to the Wayback Machine. And there was a cartoon when I was little with a little boy named Sherman. And he would visit Mr. Peabody in the lab. And he had a time machine. And the Wayback Machine would take you back. And they would pick a date based on a historical event. And so I remember Roy, actually, at the time, asking me, what's significant about 2005? And this was well before Molly died. And I said, it's the last time I was truly happy. In the retracing of my steps, in the, in the years leading up from making Molly to raising Molly to losing Molly, all the things that went into it. And there were a couple of times as a young child that 
I could have actually had a CAT scan on two different occasions and chose not to because she seemed fine otherwise. And, you know, I kick myself now. Maybe that was the first step. Those are mitigating factors. When I look at the specifics of my life around the time of her death, and I look at when and where that all started, the summer of 2005 stands out. Before I get into the summer of 2005, I want to go over a couple of things quickly that are happening now that really do play into who I am and things I've gone through and things that have come up recently that are pretty significant. The month of December was horrible for me. Two weeks sick in bed, so sick. If you follow me on social media, then you know I've been so, so sick. I, I might have, I've written about it, I think, in one of my emails, my weekly emails. 11 days in bed for me, just so that, you know, then I'm, I'm getting nothing done or what I'm getting done is done in the middle of, you know, feeling horrible enough to do nothing. So that was a very difficult uh, experience for me. Jack and Gracie were also sick. Kenny took good care of all of us. Gracie got better quickly. Jack got better before me. I was sick the longest. And I also had the pin in my feet, in my foot, in my boot and all that. So I was just sort of a big giant mess. So from November 27th, actually until two days ago. So it's January 4th right now. So the first day I worked out again since November 27th was January 2nd. So that right there is going to put me in a difficult place because working out really is therapy for me and meditation and all of that keeps me sane. I'm moving around. After that, we went to Florida. So you would think, okay, you know, nine days in Florida with a travel day on either end. So 11 total days, this, this will be great. Well, the entire time that we were in Florida, the weather was horrible. We had three good days at Disney, but you know, I would rather go to Disney on a cloudy day and the beach on a sunny day. And it just didn't work out that way. So we had a pretty good day when we arrived and a nice visit with little A. I've talked about that in my blog. And then we went to my friend Deb's house and we had a wonderful time. The house is in a beautiful little development, you know, lots of nature to look at. They have two cats. Jack-Jack was wild about these kitty cats, but it was 45 degrees and raining. I mean, that's what it is here right now. And then we went to Disney. The weather was good there. Me and Johanna joined us. And then we went back to Deb's for our beach days and they were cruddy, cold and windy and rainy. So it was a bit frustrating. I feel like, you know, I wasted my vacation on crappy weather. And again, I didn't feel good. Jack got sick again. I couldn't work out at all, nor did I want to really. I'm still sort of in a quasi boot, although I'm able to work out now. I'm back in regular shoes. So I had a really rough December. The only good thing about ending the new year on a down note is it can only get better from here, right? I'm not a big January 1st, let's do it all different this time. Although I am a huge starter of things. So as a track athlete and a teacher, your professional life comes in chunks. So you have a track season and you have a school year. So there's a beginning and an end. So goal setting and resetting goals and resetting goals happens all the time for me. So New Year's, the Gregorian calendar New Year, January 1st, is just one sort of time that I do, you know, resolutions or goals or things like that. I do them again in spring and that typically comes because the weather's getting better and so I can be more athletic and active and that sort of thing. So in terms of my goals and resolutions for this year, they really are quite simple and I'm doing them one day at a time. In Alcoholics Anonymous, people don't promise to stay sober forever. They just promise to not drink today. They promise themselves, I will not drink today. Then you try to string together a lifetime of today's. And so I do better if that's how I look at goals. What do I need to do today to set in motion a plan of action that will help me achieve whatever my goal might be? Mine is a mind, body, spirit. And I'm actually putting together a, a training plan, like a plan for people who want to be healthy and well and happy and perhaps physically fit, but not necessarily athletically fit. Like I don't want to be like an athletic coach, although I would do that. But Combining mind, body, and spirit. So everything you do should ultimately help all three of those things. So my resolutions, I have three. 
mind, body, spirit. So one is to read every day, either for pleasure or for self-growth matters not. As long as I spend a significant, maybe a half an hour a day reading. I really love reading. And it's something that I've just gotten away from over the years. My second goal is to avoid alcohol and sugar. So I have had no alcohol. So January 1st, 2nd, 3rd. So today's day four. And taking sugar out of my diet started January 2nd. And so basically I just read the ingredients. And if there's added sugar, I don't eat it. I am still eating bananas and apples because I eat those every day and I like them. If I added a fruit, I would take out a fruit. So for example, if I can find sugar-free yogurt, then I would put like blueberries and things in the yogurt. Then I wouldn't eat the bananas and the apples. Like I'm minimizing fruits, but I'm not going to give up fruits because I enjoy them too much and I feel like they're healthy. That isn't too hard for me. I don't eat a high sugary diet. My day-to-day diet, the only thing I've really given up and not replaced right now is bread because there's enough sugar in bread that I won't eat it. And it's starchy. And uh, yogurt, which is fine. But I can still put cream in my coffee because we get light cream and there's no sugar there. And then the third one is to either meditate or do hot yoga each day. One of those things. So I just joined a gym and today was my first day doing hot yoga. And I have to say, I really enjoyed it. I've never been a sit down and get inside my head kind of person. Meditating and praying in a still manner is difficult for me because my mind just goes to bad things. And I think it's, you know, could be unresolved trauma. I probably need a boatload of EMDR. So I have never really cared for yoga because I just find it all too introspective. This was a hot yoga class. I was dripping with sweat. I loved it. And the teacher is a guy named Mike Morris. And I went to high school with him. And he was wonderful. And so he's got like a little microphone on and he's talking to us through it and making little jokes and explaining it. So it wasn't this silent room. There was distraction. The other thing I liked about it is he didn't say, close your eyes and get into your head because that would have ended it for me. I just am not in a place where I can really get into my head. It's difficult for me. I need to get there, I know. So it was very, very introspective in an extrospective way. It was wonderful. Look around your room, see how you affect the room. How does the room affect you? Feel your body in the space of this room and on this mat and all that. So I learned a ton about my body. I am very, very unequal in terms of my mobility. I have a really, really tight, tight left hip and then a quite mobile right one. So anyway, it was, it was very interesting to go through that. It was wonderful. So those are my three goals. So hot yoga or meditation, reading every day, and avoiding sugar and alcohol. Now, I work out every day as well. I go to CrossFit every day. So I didn't even put that on there because that's already a part of my day-to-day life. These are things I've added in. So I'm excited about these things because all of them will make me better. And the other thing I've, I've started doing is I have this lovely Baha'i prayer book, and there are prayers that are segmented for a lot of different things. And so in my daily reading, I read at least one prayer. And so that just sort of centers me and calms me down. It was good. So the big thing, and then I'll get into my summer of 2005. In the beginning of December, I had a Zoom meeting with my track team from BU. So I was at BU from 1981 to 1986. And I've talked about this as well. Our freshman year was the first year that the NCAA funded women's sports. BU poured a ton of money into their track program, which was exciting. And so a bunch of us came that first year, seven of us. You know, social media is so wonderful because I didn't keep in touch with anybody. And suddenly Facebook came out. And then when, when adults could get Facebook and I went on Facebook, I started searching for people. And all of a sudden, oh my gosh, I'd forgotten the people that I knew. And I think in former life, before social media, before we could be so easily connected, you just moved along and didn't keep in touch with those people unless you wrote letters or called on the phone. So we all keep in touch. And it was primarily through social media and just checking in and how is everybody and that sort of thing. And then Molly died. And so I had a huge outpouring of love and support from my teammates around Molly's death. And that was significant. 
everyone just really took good care of me. So that was 2016. So a year and a half later, the fall of 2017, our former coach, Bruce Lahane, passed away. He died of ALS. And so we all got together, Leslie, his wife, and her sister, Lisa. We all got together in Boston shortly after his death. And it was just this reunion. We walked around campus. We went for dinner. We had the most wonderful time. So then that has sort of become a regular thing. We, in 2018, we went to Washington, D.C. In 2019, Joni ran her last Boston Marathon. So everyone met in Boston. I was bald and I just had brain surgery, so I didn't go. But they kept me, you know, they videoed things and went on live on Facebook. It was wonderful. Uh, Marisol, when she landed in Logan Airport in Boston, jumped in the car and drove up to see me because I'm just an hour away. So it was really wonderful. And then in the fall of 2019, I flew to the Florida Panhandle to see Alyssa and Marianne. So we've now taken to having these big group get-togethers and connections. So then COVID hit. And so I think it was Marty's idea that we have a Zoom meeting, and we did. So we had a Zoom meeting like a year ago. So we just did it again right before the holidays. Let's have a Zoom meeting. Let's connect. So we had this wonderful Zoom meeting. So everybody comes. Maybe one or two people didn't come. But between the two Zoom meetings we've had, about 15 of us all together have connected. Unbelievable conversations. Just so good. And Joni comes. My cross-country and track coach at BU for the first two years was Joan Benoit Samuelson. She's an Olympic gold medalist, the first Olympic gold medalist in the marathon. She's an amazing human being. And she's kind and she gives and gives and works hard. Just knowing her busy schedule and all that she has committed, she's willing to come on and be our coach still. It's really wonderful. So we had this wonderful Zoom meeting. And shortly after that, Mary, one of our teammates that lives in the Boston area still, sent a group email. So we have a group text thread, but that's easy for little quick things. So she sent an email, this big group email. And in it was an article in the Boston Globe about a former coach, John Babington. This is a man that coached Liberty Athletic Club. He coached at Wellesley College. He's coached several world-class runners. As a coach, take his, his personality away from it. As a coach, he's phenomenal. He was my coach for a while. I spoke of him in an episode once about calling him from the Cape when I had done the workout, called him from a payphone to let him know my times. And, and he was amazed I'd done the workout because he knows when I go to the Cape, I party all the time. Well, I just did the workout hungover. At any rate, the article in the Globe talked about how Safe Sport had banned him from having any connection to cross country or track and field or female athletes, period, for sexual misconduct. So. The details basically are he, had, he was inappropriately sexually in contact with two minors and then an inappropriate sexual contact with a collegiate athlete. So this email thread at first was like chagrin and shock at this news, but I wasn't surprised at all. As someone that's been you know, sexually abused, you start to notice, you, you start to notice characteristics and mannerisms and weirdnesses. You have a little neck hair stand up because you know something's off or something isn't right. But I never said, you know, we, so we noticed it. And then some of us even talked about it, like, oh, that's kind of creepy and, you know, and all this. But I, I just remember, I just remember that it was bizarre sometimes and that sometimes I felt very uncomfortable. So we had this amazing email thread. And in the course of the conversation, among the 15 of us, there is a small number of us, not too small, but that suffered this type of abuse as children in our families and or with people we knew. Most people, these aren't things that you share all the time. Now, I've shared on my podcast, and so it's, I have a much easier time sharing than some. So this email thread turned into the biggest support and acknowledgement and love fest among my teammates. And it made me realize how important a team activity, and a team activity doesn't have to be athletic. It can be chorus. It can be playing in a band. It can be being in a play. It can be being in an artist studio. It can be a group that hikes just extracurricular activities that put you in with other people, robotics, whatever it is, and you meet people and you have a common thread and you have 
maybe camps and things like, you know, spend, you spend summer at a camp and the people that you're at camp with become your family. And it was at the very end of the thread that Joni finally weighed in. And she was our coach. And we all went there because this famous runner was going to be the coach. So I look at her as being responsible for us showing up there in the first place. And her comment was how amazing it was to see how connected we still were, that we were still a family, that we were still connected in so many ways. And it got me very teary-eyed. And in terms of this podcast and my blog, a lot of them didn't know I was doing it. So I signed them all up for the newsletter. So I've been getting feedback about the things I'm sharing and how I'm sharing and all that. And it's wonderful. I share this because I've just finished talking about what it's like to be sexually abused and the long-term effects of that kind of abuse. And sometimes your abuser convincing you it isn't abuse, that it's completely normal and fine. The issue around John Babington is that he is angry that he's being banned. He thinks it's inappropriate because it's been so long since any of those things happened and he acknowledged it and said he regretted doing it. But he's never once offered any sort of apology or acknowledgement to his victims. So it's like a slap in the face. You know, it's just, it's just tricky and difficult that these young ladies, two of them were minors. That means you're under 18. I have to live with this and with the effects. And the fact that they went and reported them all these years later, a couple of them happened in the 70s. It was between the 70s and the 90s. So that like that 20-year period, 70s, 80s, 90s, 30-year period. We just talked and talked and talked. So the small group of us that shared sexual abuse from our childhoods have started sort of texting one another on the side. Because when you find someone that understands it, it's not that you want to rehash it and talk about it, but it's really, really helpful to talk about the effects. How do you cope? What do you do? That sort of thing. From a horrible, horrible thing being, you know, exposed in the newspaper to a group of women who haven't really spent any time together other than a few get-togethers for 35 years, we had this amazing connection. Again, in the theme of my life, good things and bad things often are simultaneous for me. And this whole experience was one of them. So, all right. So I wanted to get that in there ahead of time, just because, just because. All right. So it's the summer of 2005. So in the summer of 2005, Molly was two and Gracie was four. In that summer, I had had foot surgery in the spring and was off crutches. And I spent that summer trying to get back into shape. Jess was able to start running again. I had stomach surgery because I had a hernia, an umbilical hernia, which is common among women who have been pregnant. So I had that repaired. I did a lot of yard work. I built the Enchanted Forest. It was a very active at-home summer. And I was unbelievably happy, just as happy as can be. And so at that point, shortly after surgery, I found out that I was pregnant and I was a bit panicked because I had this little mesh patch there. But I thought, well, you know, here we are. Let's go again, baby number three. And the pregnancy didn't take and I miscarried really relatively early. In the olden days, I might not have even known I was pregnant. I was like a week late for my period. But back in the day, pregnancy tests didn't show you anything until you'd missed a period. So if this were 20 years ago, I would have waited three more weeks and waited and waited and waited for my period. When I had completely missed it and got to the point of the next one, then I would have taken a test. And by then, I would have had a period because this pregnancy ended very quickly. Because of this, I really desperately wanted to have another baby. Like, oh my God, it's a sign. We should. And Kenny really didn't want to. Now we had Molly and Gracie. We had a nice family. And so I get it. And so Kenny had a vasectomy. I went back to school in September and both of my teacher friends were pregnant. There were three health teachers, three of us, me, Julie, and Amy. We were wonderful together. And so I had to spend that whole school year looking at two pregnant ladies. And had I been pregnant, the three health teachers would have been pregnant, which I thought would have been really funny. It was the summer that was happy for me. Come September, it just began to get very difficult. I just got sad because I wanted 
thought that I should have another baby, but I didn't. And that plays a big role in the events that transpired. So the fall went along. So because I wasn't pregnant, I decided to have my right foot operated on. So the week of Thanksgiving, I had my right foot operated on. So I was on crutches and home. So because I was home, my mother still came up, you know, to do the childcare. I paid her for it. So she needed her weekly salary and I needed the help. And my mother was phenomenal with the girls. I wouldn't have wanted her not around. So she comes and because I'm home, I'm there when Gracie gets home from preschool. I'm just a part of the whole dynamic. Gracie was in her second year of preschool. Molly was not yet in preschool because she wasn't three yet. So there would be some alone time with Molly when Gracie was at school. It was just wonderful. So I would empty the backpack sometime. So shortly after Thanksgiving, I was home. It was maybe the week after Thanksgiving. My mother said, here, look at this note. So a little girl named Morgan in Gracie's class had written a note that said, hi, my name is Morgan and I'm new. And I don't have any friends yet. And I would love a play date. Here's my phone number. So this was back in the day of landlines. Landlines were still prevalent. Everyone had a landline. You also had a cell phone, but everyone still primarily had both. And so because I was home for another couple of weeks, my mother suggested that we arrange a play date. A play date isn't something my mother would do on her own. She really preferred her time to be with Gracie and Molly. And I don't blame her. She had wonderful times with them. So I called and a woman named Amy answered the phone. And this was Morgan's mother. And I arranged a play date. So the day of the play date was a massive blizzard and school was canceled. So, so Gracie didn't have preschool. Initially, the play date would have occurred after preschool, I believe. I called because it was a massive blizzard, like 16, 18 inches of snow. And I said, please, let's reschedule. We're home and cozy and I don't want a car in the driveway. It makes it difficult to shovel and all of that. And I need time to do all those things. And she said, no, no, we're ready. We're on our way. And I really, really, really sort of pleaded with her, please, can we reschedule? And she really insisted that we not. That was probably a little red flag when I look back on it, but I'm that people pleaser. I just foolishly put other people in front of me. It's why I'm late with podcasts and late with blogs and late with everything because I'm always running around doing things for people. Gosh, I should analyze that a little bit. But anyway, so we had the play date. So Amy comes over with Morgan and the play date went well. Gracie and Morgan played a lot together. Molly wanted in. And in some ways, Molly and Morgan intellectually were more compatible, but Gracie and Morgan balanced each other. And so they had a really wonderful friendship. So my mother actually scooped up Molly and played with her and did some alone time things with her. And I sat and she chatted with Amy and it was nice. We got to know one another. What do you do? We had some common interests. We had easy conversations. So a couple of hours went by and her older daughter, Teresa, was home. I'm not sure how this all transpired. I don't remember. It was over the phone. And I believe that Amy used the landline to call home. I said, look, this play date's gone great. Why don't you go home? Thank you for coming. And she was insistent. No, no, no. I, I would love for you to meet Teresa. And so they were new to town. It's a blizzard. Teresa has no idea the street names or where I live. And so we're trying to give her direction. So a normal walk from their house to our house would take 10 minutes. In a blizzard, maybe 15. So an hour later, a sopping wet, freezing cold Teresa shows up and she's lovely. And so I gave her a bunch of Concord High clothes and she joined in. And so we visited and chit-chatted and that was wonderful. And now it's getting to be five, six hours into this play date. So we've had snacks and I've offered coffee and tea and that sort of thing. But it's getting to be late. It's getting to be dark. The play date really needs to end. So my mother, I just said to my mom, you can go. And then Kenny came home and he wants to do the driveway and his, her car in the driveway. And it was just one of those things where it took forever to sort, of, to sort of end this play date. It was time. And so eventually, finally, 
the play date ended. So when, when it was all said and done, both my mother and Kenny found it off. They just found her to be a bit off and the whole interaction to be a bit off. I think on some levels I did as well. It took my whole entire day. I got nothing done. But Gracie and Molly and Morgan had a wonderful time. So I felt like it was fine. And it was fun to me. You know, I love kids and Teresa was middle school age. And I, you know, love that age group because I was teaching at the high school at the time. And so what do you like to do? And what are your interests? And I always tried to connect with middle school kids because it would, I could help get them ready for high school. And I also just have a knack for communicating with kids. And so it was wonderful to meet the entire family. And at the end of that day, I felt like that was a good thing. So we began communicating. And between then and Christmas, we probably talked on the phone a few times. I think perhaps, I don't know that we had had another play date. Maybe we had, but I feel like it was just Morgan and perhaps after preschool. Morgan and Gracie both took the bus to preschool. So I have a feeling that were a couple of times that Morgan got dropped off or perhaps Gracie got dropped off there. I don't remember exactly, but I do remember that we had had some interactions between then and Christmas. Amy's husband, Roy, was not going to be around at Christmas. He was on a trip. He's a pilot and he was not around Christmas Eve. And so we, at that time, we did a campfire with my good friends, Jen and Dave up the street and their daughters, Rosie and Lucy. And so we had a Christmas Eve campfire and we had done it a few years in a row, not too many because the girls were still pretty young at this time, but a couple of years anyway, because it was just an easy, fun thing to do. We could spot each other, present set up a little bit or last minute wrapping, that sort of thing. And so I invited Amy and the girls to come and they came and it was a lovely time. It was a much more normal. And I think it's because it was a group activity. And so we could all talk with each other. The girls were all running around and playing. And so it was really, really successful. I felt like it was a good, a good fun time. I remember when they were leaving, I gave Amy, I had over, always overbought for Molly and Gracie. And Teresa had a, a knack for little, little toys, like little pet shop type things, little, little characters and things like this. And I remember I had bought too many and I had like two or three extra packages in the front hall. And I said, here, take these home and give them to the, give them to the girls. You can have them. They can have some extra presents or whatever. That's my biggest thing that stands out there. As that year went by, 2005 into 2006, Molly's turning three, you know, Morgan and Gracie turning five. They were in preschool together and Molly was home and Teresa was at the middle school. For the remainder of preschool, we probably had fairly regular play dates, but the bulk of the relationship, because we were all so busy, was Amy and me. And we spent quite a bit of time together. A red flag for me again at the time was constant phone calls, like 6.30 in the morning, the phone would ring. It's 6.30 in the morning, we're getting ready. It's family time, especially for me because I worked and coached. So I would leave my girls in the morning and not see them until dinner. And I didn't like that. So the first few times I answered, and then I finally had to say, please don't call me in the morning. It's my family time. I'm busy. I have lunches to make and make my own lunch. And then I have to get them to school. And then I have to get to school. And it was difficult for me. And her response to this, she was very, very, very willing to share all the emotional reasons why she needed to talk to me every day, that she was somebody that needed a friend, that good friends would talk to each other several times a day, that that was normal that truly good friends could walk into each other's houses uninvited anytime. You know, I thought my family doesn't even walk into my house uninvited and that's my family. You know, you knock on the door, it's just polite. So it was just that, that sort of boundary issue. So she called me a lot and I wasn't home a lot and she didn't come by when I wasn't here too much. A handful of times she did come by, she would drop in in the afternoons when my mother was here and my mother didn't care for that because my mother didn't want to have her schedule interrupted. Right away, there was this bit of triangulation between Amy, my, my mother and me, and Amy would 
sometimes complain about my mother. And I'm like, you know what? That's their grandmother. And that's their happy time. And at the time, how I felt was that Amy was just reaching out for family, that she wanted Morgan to have a grandmother figure and just all of that. And it was not easily done. Had I been a stay-at-home mother as well, I could see where Amy and I could have delved into a very, very enmeshed friendship. And I know that that's what she wanted. I was just starting up running again and I wasn't very fast yet. So we could run together. You know, when I'm in, in shape, I'm faster than, you know, most everybody. And so we began running together. And that was good because, because that could happen on weekends. Oftentimes when we ran together, Roy was home. Or it was like in the afternoons or early evenings and Teresa could watch Morgan for the 30 minutes or 40 minutes that we went running. So that was a nice time for us. We talked about a lot of things. We accomplished a lot of things. I do know that there were an overwhelming amount of emails. I would often be at school and open my school email and there's emails there. And so that was sometimes difficult because if I didn't answer quickly, she immediately assumed something was wrong and then she'd call and she'd get my email. Well, I'm at work. I can't answer a personal email in the middle of my workday. And so she would just say, look, I have abandonment issues. And it wasn't an apology so much as a reason. And because she gave me the reason, I should accept it. That was very, very difficult for me. I have to, I have to say, but my nature is to get sucked in. And so I got sucked in. And so one by one, a lot of my neighborhood friends and a lot of my friends that were the friends of parents in Morgan and Gracie's class, although that happened a bit later, but I started to sort of lose my connections with a lot of other people because every spare minute really was spent with Amy. And we had fun and we could talk together. So it was one of those things where I didn't mind it so much because it, it wasn't necessarily a bad thing. It was only uncomfortable when it was uncomfortable. School ended and it was the last day of preschool and they have a little celebration like a graduation. And I don't remember why Amy couldn't go, but I thought it odd because she didn't have a job at the time. So she must have had an appointment or something. I don't know, but she didn't go. And so I, I videoed the whole thing. So I have Gracie and I have Morgan and little Molly jumping all around so badly wanting to be a part of it. But I remember, you know, kids look around to see who's there for them. That's prevalent on social media right now that kids really notice when people are there for them. And I felt bad for Morgan because I just wanted her to, to know that, you know, she was supported. And so I had, took a ton of pictures. And then that was the end of preschool. So now it's kindergarten the following year. So they were both at the same school and both in the morning session of kindergarten with the same teacher. And so that was actually a wonderful thing. Kindergarten offers a bus, not in the morning, they offer a bus on the way home. So over the summer of 2006, there were trips to the park, sometimes lake trips, not as much. I, you know, Molly and Gracie just played so well together. I spent a lot of time at home. So my Amy time that summer was primarily running. Now I was a road race timer at the time, timing road races. And over the course of the next year or so, this I can understand, Amy really wanted to work. And I'm not sure... She would claim that Roy didn't want her to work and that he would get angry with her. I don't know. The other side of it for Roy was that he complained that she spent money all the time. So it was one of these things where they were constantly pointing out to me in conversation, you know, what was going on with the other. I didn't know Roy super well. We didn't necessarily click, but I, I didn't need a, a, another friend in my life. You know, Amy was my friend and I only knew of him what she told me. And I'll get into that later. Two times, however, in that first year, we went out, we meaning Kenny and I and Amy and Roy. And one time we got all dressed up and we went for dinner. And then we went to see a show at the Capitol Center for the Arts. And it's funny because Amy and I wore the same sweater. We both had this red gap sweater. <laughs> it was kind of funny. So we went for dinner and then we went to the show or had drinks and then went to the show. And it was fun, except the conversation was really, really tricky and difficult. There were times when Amy would talk about things 
were highly inappropriate, like TMI, TMI. And Roy would laugh along, not necessarily participate, but not unsupported either. So sometimes it was awkward. So I would try to navigate the conversation around our kids or running or, you know, Kenny was new with you or sharing about his older kids. And when Roy spoke, it was mostly things he was up to, a trip he had recently taken, you know, work, that sort of thing. It wasn't easy, comfortable conversation. It was much easier when Amy and I were just Amy and I, because then when the conversation was uncomfortable, we could just, I don't know how we navigated that. So then we went to the show and that was fun. It was Gaelic Storm. We sang along and all that kind of stuff. It was a good time. But I do remember after that, Kenny was very reluctant to spend any time. I did not have fun. He said, I don't want to, I don't want to spend time with them again. I was so tight with Amy and Kenny was always kind to Amy because he understood that we were friends. He and Roy didn't care for one another. I don't know if they didn't like each other or they just didn't click. Then Amy said, I would like you and Kenny and the girls to come for dinner. So I said, it needs to be early. I would love to come for dinner. I would love to retry things with Kenny and Roy. Please, let's just order pizza and it's us with the kids. I don't want to dress up. I don't want a fancy dinner. I just want to come and relax and have a nice time with our kids. So we show up and I think we showed up at five and... Amy is in the kitchen slaving away at this, what was an amazing meal, but it was fondue. It was all this preparation. She had to make these homemade sauces and she, the kitchen was just stuff everywhere. And she said, great, you're here. You can help me. The girls can play in the playroom. So Amy and Roy lived in this beautiful Victorian home, three stories tall. It had an attic with several rooms up there, two or three rooms anyway, that were finished, usable. So you walked upstairs and there were five bedrooms. So plenty of room for a toy room. And then the attic had, you went up these steep, steep wooden stairs, no carpet on those stairs at all, and very steep. They're going to an attic. And the playroom was upstairs. Every toy that Morgan owned was in the playroom, which was in the attic. So you're home alone with your mom and you want to play in your playroom. You have to be all alone in the attic. Now, I think that might be fine for some kids, especially older kids. I know that, you know, teenagers would love to have their bedroom in the attic all by themselves. But you know, for a four-year-old, these girls were four at the time, four turning five, and Molly was two turning three. Couldn't wrap my head around it. It just struck me as a huge disconnect between incorporating your children into your life and then parceling your life into grown-up and children. Now, it is important for grown-ups to have grown-up time, but having every evidence of a child stored away, far away from public view, because having a clean house is so important, to me, sends a very strong message. <laughs> that that house isn't the child's house. Now, the other piece is Molly was the third wheel when it came to Gracie and Morgan. And so, and she was three. And I didn't feel safe having her upstairs alone in a playroom with that steep, steep stairwell. So I said, no, no, I'm not willing to let Gracie and, and Molly be alone two floors away from me while I'm busy cooking. I asked for pizza. I want to be home by nine o'clock, please. This isn't what I wanted. And, you know, of course, she's, she's in her zone now. So Kenny and Roy sit down in the living room with a beer and they start chatting. And I go upstairs. This was, I think that was off crutches by now, but I still wasn't completely 100% footwise. And so I had to sort of hobble upstairs. So I stayed upstairs. I went to the third floor and hung out with the girls for about an hour. So I'm not visiting. Now I'm babysitting, which is fine because I loved being with my girls. Teresa came up with us so I could chat with her, you know, because she's older and, and we had developed a nice connection. But it wasn't comfortable. And Kenny was now all by himself in a situation where he thought we'd be sitting around having pizza and all talking with one another and talking with kids. We finally all went downstairs. And I think we might have brought a handful of toys down to play with downstairs so that, so that we weren't so far apart. It's far away. 
Kenny and Roy were talking, but I could tell from both of their expressions that it wasn't necessarily going all that well. And dinner took forever. I think we were there for three and a half hours before dinner was ready. So hindsight tells me Amy should have called and said, don't come till seven. I'm not ready. Or just honored my request that, please, I don't want a fancy dinner. I just want, you know, pizza and ice cream. You know, that would be great. We have little kids, you know, three of them under the age of five. And so by the time dinner was ready, it was like 8.30 at night. It was late. And so we sat down to eat. So now I have, I have a child in my lap. Now, Molly and Gracie, we went to bed at 8.30, 9 o'clock. So now we're just starting dinner at 30 minutes from their bedtime. So I think I had Molly in my lap and Kenny had Gracie in his lap. And the dinner was fondue, which is, a, you know, an open flame on a, on a cooking meat. So I remember it not being super focused. So I, we, we ate and it was delicious, I have to say. Amy was an amazing cook. But by the end of the dinner, all three of the little ones were on somebody's lap. So when dinner was over, I said, this was wonderful. Let's just forego dessert. And we had brought a pie that we had gotten at the apple orchard. And I think Amy had made some delicious things. I know that the dessert was delicious, but she was insistent that we stay for dessert. But that was preparation, heating up pies and, and all this kind of stuff. So by the time we left, it was 11 o'clock at night and Molly and Gracie and Morgan were asleep on various couches. So that just isn't my style. I don't feel it's fair to kids. If I had known that that was the way the dinner party was going to be, I would have suggested Amy and I split a babysitter <laughs> and the children either all stay here and be babysat here or we have a babysitter at their house. And then Teresa could have someone to talk to. Then I wouldn't have worried about the kids because there would have been two bigger people watching little Molly. At any rate, the next day I woke up and I was so sick. I must have thrown up 10 times. And I think the reason I threw up so much is that I didn't cook my meat enough. I think I just ate the meat quickly because I was in a hurry and I wasn't focused. It was horrible. It was the longest, longest Sunday of my life. And I remember I went with a friend of mine, Jack Frazier, to a track meet. We went, we picked somebody up and went to a track meet in Boston. And I was just in the car. We'd have to pull over and I got sick. It was awful. It was just the longest day ever. So these were the kinds of social events. And it wasn't limited to Kenny and I. There were times where there were like, you know, little get togethers with a bunch of parents and their kids. And over the summer, picnics and get togethers. I had kids in my yard all the time. We have a big yard. So I often had, I just had kids over, you know, often. And one by one, People that I really cared about knew just began to pull back a little bit. In hindsight, I should have paid better attention to that, but I just was so defensive. I just wanted everything to be okay. During the kindergarten school years is when the difficulties really started to escalate for me. The biggest thing was I would end up driving everybody to school. So Kimball School, where Gracie and Morgan went, was very close by, super walking distance for them. And when Roy was home, often Roy would walk Morgan to school. But there were several occasions where Amy would call and say, can you pick up the girls and bring them to school? And I would sometimes say to her, look, you don't work in the day. You don't have any place you need to be. I have to be to school at a certain time. I can't be late. This adds to me. I have to leave 10 minutes early to do this. And she really didn't understand it, you know, just because the proximity of Molly's preschool and Teresa's middle school. And then, you know, Gracie and Morgan went to the same kindergarten. She just felt like it shouldn't be a big deal for me. Well, it was a big deal. And it was incredibly frustrating for me. It was a, a third booster seat in the back seat. It and after a while, I started to say no. And that was met with, you know, well, we're friends. You should do this for me. You know, I, I do things for you. And she did do things for me, but it was seldom what I needed her to do or what I asked her to do. <laughs> the school bus for kindergarten would drop Morgan off first. And Gracie was like one of the last. And so my mother would wait at home for Gracie to get off the bus. And I had given John, the bus driver, permission for Gracie to sometimes play at Morgan's house. Well, there were a handful of times where Amy had Gracie get off the bus as well. My mother calls me in a panic. The bus never came with Gracie. So I would call Amy. Oh, I have her here. 
And I would say, you can't just assume that that's okay. My mother was waiting. You know, you need to call my mother. You need to clear it with my mother first. Well, your mother always says no. Well, it's my mother's right to say no. So this triangulation became consistent where my mother and I fought because I would try to defend Amy. Amy and I would argue because I would try to defend my mother. Nobody was defending me in this. It was, it was pretty amazing. I set specific days that it was okay for Gracie to play there. And then my mother could have some alone time with Molly, which I also think was a good thing. I was very specific, however, that we pick an ending time and that we stick to the ending time. That I didn't like when the ending time came and I showed up and it was another hour before I could get Gracie out of the house. This never happened. My mother would go and then poor Molly's in the car seat and then Amy would invite them in, which my mother didn't want. There were other things to do. It just became incredibly difficult. My mother finally asked me to leave her out of any of these arrangements that if Gracie went to play there, I needed to pick her up. Well, this was fine because I typically wasn't ready to pick anyone up until evening, you know? So like, you know, after track practice or cross country practice, it'd be five o'clock. So again, I haven't seen my kids all day. Be very clear. I think we could text by now. I've actually sent away for all my texts to make sure I have a lot of these things accurate. I haven't received them yet, but I do believe that by now we could text one another on cell phones. We of course could leave voicemail and I would say, I'm leaving track practice now. Please have Gracie ready. So never was she ready, never. And always it was, well, this is the time that we can visit, which is kind. A true friend would have listened to the request and honored it. Amy very much drove the boat. And so she just thought if I was denying a visit, it's because I didn't like her or didn't want to be friends with her. And she couldn't understand that it was because I wanted to be with my kids more than I wanted to be with her. And even that hurt her feelings, I think. It was incredibly manipulative in hindsight, looking back on it now. The worst of it was the time that I went and I'm going through the house, going through the house and I go upstairs and they are just getting into a bubble bath. Okay, it's no one's job but mine to bathe my child. So that was off-putting to me. Didn't have a lack of trust necessarily, but you know, not her job. And I said, you know, I just looked at her and I said, it's summertime in my house. And she go eat and then come back. I said, no, 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 no. It's family time for us. It's family time for us. I need Gracie to get out of the tub. Well, of course, Gracie didn't want to get out of the tub. So I just said, Gracie, you have 10 minutes and you have to get out. So I take home a crying Gracie because she doesn't want to get out of the bubble bath. Morgan wasn't happy. She wanted a friend to go home. And I'm and I'll relate for dinner because, it, because of all of this. That was a pretty consistent, a very, very consistent behavior. The opposite side of this was there were a handful of times that I called Amy. And one time I called on an evening was the only evening. And I said, hey, and she goes, I can't talk right now. It's movie night. It's family movie night. And I'm like, what? Well, it's family movie night. We're watching a movie. I'm like, oh, okay. Now, if I were in the middle of anything, it still would have taken me 20 minutes to get Amy off the phone. That's just how it was. I'm not trying to say this in an insulting way. She clearly had emotional, emotional reasons she needed to be on the phone. And also I know when I've been home alone all day in the house, adult conversation is wonderful, but it was very easy for for her to cut me off and say goodbye. And I would hang up. It never was the other way around. Never once did she come home to her house and have me in it. There were several times as our friendship went along that I would come home and she was in my house or in my yard waiting for me. And she'd have things. We loved coffee culottas at the time. And so she'd have coffee culottas. And so how do you, how do you ask someone to leave when they've brought you a gift? And hindsight tells me the gift was how she knew she could stay. Not that she definitely wanted to give me a culotta. I came home once with the girls. We all had culottas, but communication, I would have said, no, I have plans. And then she couldn't have been there. So this became more and more significant as time went by. Another significant event in the fall of 2006, 
Amy and Roy went away for a three-day trip. I think it might've been around, they were celebrating something, an anniversary or somebody's birthday or something. I don't remember. And so Teresa stayed with a friend and Morgan came and stayed with us, which was perfectly fine. It was a wonderful three days. Everything went great. Mornings were fine. You know, everything was fine. But every evening, Morgan would ask, you know, did they call? Are they going to call me? So I left messages, voicemails, which were not returned, just sort of filling them in on how things were going. But for three days, there was just no contact with either of the kids. Now, I'm not quite sure Teresa minded. She was at that age, seventh grade by now. But it was, it was difficult for me, and I had to be reassuring on more than one occasion. They came home finally, and I have this beautiful, cute little picture of the two of them asleep on the bed, the big bed. Everything was fine. But when I brought up the fact that she hadn't called or checked in with her kids at all, she pinned that on Roy, that it was their time and the kids were fine, and why did she need to call? So at the time, that was horrifying to me. And until I get into the whole seven-year experience of this, it was easy for me to hate Roy at the time or dislike him because I felt that if you're taking a, you know, a mother away from her children, that's not a good thing. Looking back on it now, having full knowledge of everything, those two were equal, equal players in that game. And so that very well may have been true, but I'm quite sure there were things that were not good the other way around either. I just started to have more and more red flags around the friendship because it was all consuming. When I would start to pull away, I remember she would often say that she was becoming good friends with someone else, spending a lot of time with them, and it would pique my insecurities. So this is where, where Amy and I are very similar. I would get insecure. I came to find out later, I remember Gracie had a play date with another one of the friends and I talked to the mother because Amy had often dropped by there. She said that she no longer answered those calls. <laughs> nor answered the door if she knew that Amy was coming. And so here I am now deep in this friendship. I mean, very deep in it and unwilling to extricate at that point, at times not wanting to. You know, we had wonderful times. Our runs together were the most normal times, I think, in our friendship. And she became fit. She wasn't healthy. She didn't eat well or enough or drink enough fluids, I think. There were a couple of runs where I had to call and get us a ride home because I was so worried about her, her health. And oftentimes on Sunday mornings, when we did long runs, she would want Morgan to come over here. And, you know, Sunday morning was, Kenny worked 60 hours a week and oftentimes on Saturdays, Sundays were his days. And so he didn't want a third child around. He wanted time with his children. Oftentimes I would say, no, let's just run another time. Or, you know, I actually, I'm not going to run, you know, I would have to sort of get out of it. And she was pretty savvy that way and knew that I was avoiding the issue. There were a couple of times that she just showed up with Morgan. And, you know, I'm not going to, at that point, it's the child I'm worried about, not the adults. Probably the worst example of that was a time that Kenny had taken the girl somewhere. And so I didn't have anyone at home. So I went over to her, ran over to get her. And it was horrible. It was horrible. Crying, crying little girl, angry, angry big sister. Amy just sort of pushing them back into the house and trying to slam the door. It was ugly, ugly, ugly. And I said, I refuse. I'm not going to run with you knowing that that's what's going on here. You stay home with your kids. I'm going home. And I ran home and I didn't run. And she showed up a little bit later and I said, I'm not willing. I am not willing to be a part of it. I don't want these children to think, I think it's okay. Because I didn't. As much as I loved running and as much as children can be whiny, there was a lot going on there, I think. And it was just, it just put a big giant knot in my stomach. So kindergarten year went along. There were several at-school activities. And again, oftentimes I was there as a parent and Amy wasn't. And so I tried very hard to make sure that lots of pictures were taken and all of that sort of thing. I do remember Gracie was a very, very timid little girl and pretty insecure sometimes. She has, she has a processing learning disability. And Morgan has an amazing 
an amazing brain. Amazing, amazing. And that's what I mean. Their friendship was such good balance. Pragmatic with sort of fluffy and la la la, you know, like dreamy like. And so they balanced each other. Gracie had a very big fear of the bathroom and going there by herself and all this. And so their teacher was kind enough to let them go together because she knew they were such good friends. Morgan took such good care of Gracie. She made Gracie feel so safe. It's such, it's such a happy memory for me. There were lots and lots of things. Then there was kindergarten graduation. And that was another one that I think I was the picture taker at. And then that was that. And then it was the summer of 2007. By this time, I had gotten Amy somewhat involved in timing at my road race timing company. That was, I thought, a good thing. She had applied for a couple of other jobs. I know that she was getting very, very antsy just being home all the time. And I acknowledge this. Unless you're like, your kids are home with you all the time and you know, you're truly busy in those things, it can be difficult to just be home all the time. That summer was sort of more of the same where lots of time at the park, lots of picnics, but we were starting to have a bit of a strain. My thoughts were helping her to get a job that she enjoyed. Amy's another one, super smart. So she picked up on it right away, how to program the computers, time the races. She's affable and friendly. You know, she did a wonderful job. Race directors loved her. She worked for a number of years for that company. So that summer was when we sort of began to pull away a little bit just because it was getting increasingly difficult for me to set boundaries. She had no trouble maintaining her boundaries, but crossed into mine all the time. I came home one day and she had gone shopping and she bought me all these clothes and they're nothing I would have worn. They're beautiful clothes. We have different tastes, but I don't need someone to buy me clothes. So I said, look, how much? I'm going to write you a check. No, 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 I bought them for you. Amy, I don't need clothes. Like it was, it was just bizarre to me. And then another time I had bought Gracie and Molly's snowsuits. And she was angry at me because I didn't buy one for Morgan. Well, Morgan's not my child. These were the, the sort of weirdnesses that happened. And in our conversations around these issues, she was very clear that she just felt that if we were truly friends, that we would just sort of overlap into each other's lives. And it didn't matter what Kenny and Roy thought. Well, Roy was away a lot. So she had a, a lot more alone home, alone time than I did. So had I been the type of person to walk into somebody's house, it wouldn't, have, it wouldn't have mattered. I just know that I have a lot of people in my house besides me and the girls. And so it wasn't all about me. Kenny and my mother ultimately are more important than any of my friends because they're my family. So that was tricky. So that was the first from summer of 2005 to summer of 2007. Those two years were relatively normal. I was a relatively new teacher at the high school. It was very, very difficult for me sometimes to, you know, I'd be teaching a class and my cell phone would ring and it would be her. A couple of times she showed up at the school and came in with culottes for me, which is fine, but I'm at work. You know, I'm in the middle of a class and there at the back of the room she is with, you know, and the students were like, oh, you should have taken an order. You know, it was, they were funny expressions of friendship, but very, very, very inappropriate and boundary crossing. It is impossible for me to say no. So I would just accept these things. I would just say, thank you. That's nice and all this. But, you know, little by little, my neighborhood friends pulled away. When we would have playdates or she was over, people would like get up and leave my yard. You know, that, that second Christmas when the girls were in kindergarten, we were all out around the fire. Roy had just gotten home late and he came over and Kenny was just like, no, thank you. I can't, I can't deal with all this. He stayed for a bit, but then Kenny's like, you know what, we're done. And so we ended, he ended the fire early, which upset me because we were all having fun. And I was like, why can't you just be friendly? But this, this is what, you know, I'm not a medical professional, so I can't label anyone with a mental illness. But a very, very manipulative tactic in people is called triangulation, where you pit people against one another so that you come out sort of the apex of the triangle. It was my mother and Amy not getting along. So there was this triangulation there. 
And then it was Kenny and Roy and pitting them against each other. Who do I defend? It was just weird and, and super uncomfortable. And so those are things that stand out. So I'm going to end here because as I look back on it, the best parts of that friendship occurred in those two years as well. We did have really good times. I really loved her. There are parts of her I still love because I like to believe that that's the real Amy and that the other things are just an expression of the difficulties in her life. I don't know. But as the girls were heading into first grade, things were going to become very different and things would start to get a bit more stressful and a bit more serious. So that's that. So I really appreciate the listening, appreciate the patience. I want to do a shout out. I'm on a couple of podcasts as a guest. I am on a Boss Moms podcast and Vintage Moms podcast. I'm going to be meeting with a woman this afternoon and another podcast, and it's marriage, motherhood, and menopause. I think that's what it is. So I'm excited about that. And then I'm setting up, I'm going to be a guest on, on several others. I'm excited. It's fun to share my story and in a way that people don't have to pay to hear it. You know, it's exciting. I'm excited about that. So I will be sure to put those things on my social media pages as well as mention them in the newsletter. If you don't get my newsletter, I'm not selling anything. It's not like those weekly emails that tell you to sign up for things. I just sort of give you a summation of my week or something that's going on and what I think about it. This week's, for example, this week's blog will be all about my BU team and all that I talked about. But if you want to do that, go onto the website, a thousandtinysteps.com, and you can put your name and your email address and your Instagram handle if you want to. And it's not a super long read. I have a picture. What's the main things in the podcast episode, what the blog is going to be about, if I even know when I send an email. And then I always do five good things from my week, that sort of thing. So I would love to have more people following the email because it's an easy way to connect to other things if you're not super big into social media. As always, do something good for yourself. The good thing I'm doing for myself is trying to tell a painful story in a tender way. And I hope that I can do that. It's very cathartic and cleansing for me. I'm also taking good care of myself. Do something good for someone else. And then finally, have a good day, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening and for supporting the podcast. Feel free to leave a review and to share my stories with your friends. Please reach out with your own stories. I love connecting with my listeners. If you want to see what I'm up to next, you can find me on Instagram at barb underscore 444, on Facebook as Barb Higgins, and at my website, a thousandtinysteps.com. And while you're there, sign up for my newsletter, a weekly way to find out what's up in the life of Barb Higgins.